time ago I can still remember how that music used to make me smile And I knew if I had my chance that I could make those people dance and maybe they'd be happy for a while But February made me shiver with every paper I deliver bad news on the doorstep I couldn't take one more step I can't remember if I cried when I read about his widowed bride but something touched me deep inside the day the music died so bye bye miss american pie drove my chevy to the levee but the levee was dry and them good old boys were drinking whiskey and rye singing this will be the day that i die this will be the day that i Die. Did you write the book of love and do you have faith in God above? If the Bible tells you so. Hey everybody, welcome back to the hustle. It's John Lamoureux. Okay, this week it's a big one. This week we are talking to the legend Don McLean. Now, of course, everybody knows American Pie. I mean, that's a song that's it's not just an enduring hit, like something like you know, Hotel California or Stairway to Heaven. This is a song that's been woven into the fabric of popular culture. It's a pillar of what recorded music is in the modern era. It's arguably, not even arguably, it's probably literally bigger than Don himself. It's one of the biggest recorded pieces of anything in history. So I thought it'd be really interesting to talk to him about this. How it impacts his life and he's very forthcoming about the riches that this song has provided for him he also discusses something i had not considered before and that is that basically he was never a label's highest priority he was never the cash cow he was never the sexy signing he has had to prove and reprove himself over and over and over again his entire career and i didn't know that and i think that's really really interesting one thing that I hope that you'll notice when you listen to this, I was certainly sort of reawakened to it when I was t getting ready to talk to him and put the episode together. There is so many, so much good stuff, especially from the 70s period of Don's career. So much more than American Pie. I mean, that's a great song, obviously, but there's a lot of other great songs, too. So I hope you hear some things and you're reminded of what a great songwriter he is. I'll be honest, so we didn't have a ton of time, okay? We, I was only given a half hour. I think he liked me. I think I probably could have talked to him a little bit longer than that, but I was trying to be respectful to the schedule. About a year ago, there was an arrest for spousal abuse, and we don't talk about it in here. He does mention a, a potentially nasty divorce. Uh, I didn't want to pounce on that or go deep into this stuff because if I only have a half hour with Don McLean, that's not what I want to talk about. But in case anyone out there is like, how could you not mention it? This is why. I wanted you to know. Also, I have to give a very big thanks 
to listener Howard Cogswell for contributing mightily to this episode. Thank you, Howard. You're a great listener, as always. Thank you. Don called me from a mall in Portland, Maine, and I think he may have even had dinner or eaten his dinner while we were talking. Where am I calling you? Where are you? You are calling me in the Maine Mall in South Portland, Maine. Oh, is that where you live? Well, I live in California also. Okay. That's what I thought. Maine is so beautiful. I've been up there. I, I went to Portland for Thanksgiving once. I have an uncle that lives up there. Exactly. I went to Portland for Thanksgiving in about 1994, 1995, and I loved it there. It's so beautiful. Yeah, well, if you like San Francisco, yeah, I'll never forget it. When I got off the plane in Portland, uh, Aaron Neville was standing there talking to somebody. Well, thanks for doing this. So I'll get right to it. I'm curious what the most memorable, what are some of the most memorable performances of American Pie that you've ever experienced? I don't mean to minimize your career to one song. No, no, sorry. uh, I just want to say to you that um, some amazing performances of that song uh, was one of the biggest ones, of course, was uh, Garth Brooks at Central Park in 1997. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think there's ever been a show like that. I mean, anything Garth no. does is humongous. Yeah. And yeah. that was amazing. And then I was invited to sing at the Millennium Concert and at the White House at the turn of the century. In 1999, New Year's wow. Eve, I sang in front of 600,000 people who were around the, the reflecting pool and I looking at the feet of Lincoln uh, Memorial looking at the uh, Washington Monument and uh, they all sang along and then uh, when the the year turned to 2000, the entire Washington Monument lit up and the year 2000 was emblazoned uh, at the top of it. So that is a memory I will never forget. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Um, I guess I've sung at some of the biggest festivals and some of the smallest festivals. Sure, you know? sure. I, I was sung at, at Glastonbury. I starred there. And that was <laughs> That's right. 150,000 people. And, Amazing. And I sang at uh, Stagecoach, which was uh, another probably, uh, in fact, it was a funny review of the Stagecoach. They said, why would you book Don McLean, you know, <laughs> at, a, at a country music festival? Oh, uh, come first on. Of all, First of all, he's not country. Second of all, like he's old. Third of all, and they kept coming up with all these reasons. And it said, and after the show was over, it said it was the smartest booking move they ever saw. Oh, wow. (laughs) I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. The reason I asked that question is because you've been on my mind a lot lately for the last couple of years because I I remember so well that last week that David Letterman was on the air, he was having a lot of special musical guests, and John Uh Mayer came on two or three nights before the end, and he sang Uh this amazing version of American Pie. Yeah, Uh uh-huh. Yeah, did, did you know well. that was going to happen? He did. Did you know that was going to happen or no, anything? No, no, I didn't. I thought he did a very credible job. It's not an easy song to sing no. well. No, it's not. Uh, and I just thought, I was thinking of you, thinking, watching that and thinking, this this song, just every generation that goes by can continue to adopt this song as their own and being meaningful to them. It never dies. You know what no. I mean? Ever. Well, and I don't mean to minimize the rest of your catalog because, frankly, I I love Vincent. No, That's I, one of my favorite I think songs it ever. Your palette blue and gray. 
Look out on a summer's day With eyes that know the darkness in my soul Shadows on the hills Sketch the trees and the daffodils Catch the breeze and the winter chills In colors on the snowy linen land Now I understand What you tried to say to me And how you suffered for your sanity how you tried to set them free They would not listen They did not know how Perhaps they'll listen now Starry, starry night Thank you. I, yeah. I think that one of the things that people don't realize is that the, all the albums I made for United Artists sold, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions. Mm-hmm. So that that's why I draw, because people come to see and hear. But, of course, American Pie does stand alone as this yeah. uh, very, very large thing. And, you know, recently going into the uh, Library of Congress was yeah. a beautiful thing. And, no kidding. Uh, so, um, no kidding. Yeah, I'm, wondering, uh, I'm, I'm curious about the writing of the song. I mean, if you don't mind, just no, in general, were wait. you, you know, sitting on your bed with an acoustic guitar? Were, did it start as a poem? And you turned it into a song. What? How did you allow yourself to write this eight-minute thing? And well, the thing about it is, I'm not really given the kind of credit that I'll probably or might be given later on if I'm not around anymore as a songwriter, <laughs> because I have all these different ideas, and they're all yeah. kind of rad- radically different. So, for example, a song like Dreidel. I feel like a spinning top or a dreidel. Spinning don't stop when you leave the cradle You just slow down Round and around this world you go Spinning through the lives of the people you know We all slow down I wanted a big, a big horn band approach. And yeah. The, and it's all like Wonderful Baby or Crossroads or Empty Chairs or Passes in the Air or Winterwood or they're all like completely different. And what happens is the song comes out of my mouth as if it's been written already. Really? So, you know, so the first part of that song came out just like a genie out of a bottle. Wow. Just flows. You, uh-huh. these, it's just kind of extemporaneous. Yep. I grabbed the, the tape recorder. I grabbed the tape recorder and sang a long, long time ago, right through the day the music died. Wow. And then I didn't know. I said, what the heck is that? You know? Yeah. And yeah. I wanted to make it a rock and roll song. So Sure. Okay. I came up with a fast chorus. 
which in and of itself is something that people talk about a lot, the crazy chorus on the song. And then, yeah. and then, I, and then I formulated this idea that politics and music flow parallel forward through time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's just my theory. But sure. that's how I, that was what I used. And uh, so that's how I wrote the song when I finally came around to writing. It all just came to me in an hour or so. That's amazing. That's what people say about the best songs. They just come out of thin air and yeah. it's over in like 20 minutes. You turn your radio on. Yeah. That's incredible. Okay. Now, when you um what what's the story behind the album cover for that album? I mean, it's it's iconic, the thumb with the flag on it. That is a what? guy named uh, George Whiteman who was a fashion photographer. Okay. And I wish that I had more people like that in my life. <laughs> yeah. And Media Arts Records was the brainchild of Alan Livingston, who was the brilliant record man who signed the Beatles, the Beach Boys, the Kingston Trio, Frank Sinatra, all these people to Capitol Records in the 50s. Uh-huh. He stayed with Capitol Records until the end of the 60s, and he decided he wanted to start his own venture. And he called it Media Arts Records. It was a film company and a publishing company. Okay. I ended up being signed by him. That was the most important find he'd ever had. I can imagine. <laughs> and he signed me to Media Arts. He was so excited. And the first album, Tapestry, came out. And they got two songs on the charts, And I Love You So and Capitals in the Air. And if she asks you why, you can tell her that I told you that I'm tired. Castles in the air, I've got a dream I want the world to share in castle walls Just lead me to despair Hills of forest green Where the mountains touch the sky A dream come true I live there till I die I'm asking you Say my last goodbye The love we knew Ain't worth another try Save me from all the trouble and the pain I know I'm weak But I can't face that girl again record label, you know, started falling on hard times because the small labels squeeze out of business by the big sure. ones who have the uh, distribution. Yeah, definitely. And so he couldn't make it. I'm in the middle of making this American Pie thing. Which he, he, I didn't even have American Pie at that time. Oh, okay. They liked the album without American Pie. <laughs> really? Well, it is. Yeah. I mean, there's so many good songs on that album, even without it. But I could see that. Well, okay. it was a good second album, you know, for a songwriter. Sure. sure. A couple, yeah. few more songs on there, and it would have been fine. Yeah. But I'm. Then they go out of business. I'm thinking, man, I'm back on the street. Yeah. And and I'd already been turned down by everybody once. Yeah. You know, so I didn't have much of a shot. Pretty depressing. But I was always fighting these record companies anyway. I believe and it. And the thing and the things that were happening, you know, I had. A guy named Herb Gart was probably the worst manager that ever lived, this guy. <laughs> and he just he pissed everybody off. 
Uh-huh. He, he is always exploiting record labels and trying to nickel and dime them to the point where they wanted to throw them out of their office. Sure. And he represented me. So, you oh, know, when they saw me, they saw him. You know? Yeah, yeah, sure. Oh, it was very bad. Yeah. Anyway, the son of a gun lucked out because United Artists wanted to change their image and um, bought Media Arts and bought Spencer Davis and me and a lady named Dory Previn who wrote okay. some, some songs uh-huh. and had some records. That she wrote some beautiful songs. That's amazing. Now, I, I mean, I think that that's sort of the, um, you know, that's that sliding doors or butterfly effect to your career. If United Artists doesn't step in and take over media arts, the world may never have known the American Pie album. Is that right? Or do you think you would have well, been able to ship it somewhere else? No, and... no I, I don't know what would have happened. Yeah. But I, th- I think if Ed Freeman, the producer, and I were at constant loggerheads, because he was a control freak and a guy who was very condescending, and I don't like being condescended to. I don't sure. care about anything. Yeah. But without him, I don't think we, we would have, would have been here at American Pie because he did a, a magical job on that track. He did. But I figure even if you had, you know, even if media arts had gone out and you'd been swept up by some other more independent label or smaller label, they wouldn't have had the juice to put. American Pie and Vincent and all that in front of the world. But thankfully, at that very moment, the right suitors swept in, and here we are. I, I mean, maybe I'm maybe I'm romanticizing the story, but that's sort of what it seems like from an outsider's perspective. Well, let me tell you something. I have had many, many strange things happen to me that have always been, like, magical. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm not a... I have to say this. I've never had a record company that believed in me and put any money into me. What? I've never had a, a publicist or anything like that who was creative or until now, they're pretty good. I've never had any money invested in, in me or my career. Zero. What? Uh, not yep. even right after American Pie? Nope. Not really. Wow. They were extremely stupid and <laughs> extremely dull. Their idea of an ad campaign was American Pie, love it or eat it. Wow. Gosh. That's what, what they came up with. That's they, not, were the, that, they were the dumbest sons enough. of bitches you ever saw. <laughs> they were the that dumbest you could ever imagine. They were stupid and crass yeah. and clumsy and dumb, but they had a lot of money. And yeah. part of them, okay. I went and did the third album with him called Don McLean. Mm-hmm. Some people like a lot. I don't know why. <laughs> really? They, they do. But a cowboy's life was the only life for me. It's a strong man's occupation, riding herd and living free. But strong men often fail where shrewd men can prevail. I'm an old man now with nothing left to say. But oh God, how I worked my youth away Well, you may not recognize my face I used to be a star A cowboy hero known both near and far I perched upon a silver mound And sang with my guitar But the studio, of course 
my saddle and my horse But that six-gun on the wall belongs to me Completely dropped the ball. Um, lost himself in drugs. And oh. Very arrogant. You know, I almost came to That's blows. Too bad. Yeah. It was very and difficult. Yeah, you're getting screwed out of all of this. I was a young guy. Right. Who, uh, you know, came to the party without any allies. My manager was very quick to blame any stupidity that he might have created or caused on me. Because he had complete control over me. I didn't speak to anybody else. I wasn't in the business. I lived in the woods, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and I wouldn't even answer my phone a lot of times. And jobs oh, would boy. come and go that I wouldn't get. Yeah. So it was always Don that wants this and Don wants that and Don this and Don that. Mm. And I got this really, really bad rep in the business as being this, you know, impossible asshole. Oh, no. And, and I wasn't. You know, I yeah. was a... You know, I was maybe semi, but I wasn't really as bad as most of these guys. I yeah. just, I had this awful guy representing me who would blame everything he did wrong on me. That's and, horrible. Uh, yeah. So I finally got rid of him in the early 80s, like the 83 or so. And a lawsuit that lasted, well, it started in 83 and ended in sometime around 80. Seven or eighty nine or eighty eight or something like that. Mm -hmm. All through the eighties, I was in court yeah. and with lawsuits with people. But I finally got rid of everybody and, and ended up owning everything and controlling everything. So Good. I own all my songs, all my albums. Oh all, man! You know, I control everything. Everybody, anybody wants something, uh, they have to come to me. Does and, that include the Madonna cover? Were, oh yeah, were you the owner. How that music used to make me smile And I knew that if I had my chance I could make those people dance And maybe they'd be happy for a while happened they had to work that out through you oh directly. yeah everything everything comes to me only me interesting and uh, i have a publishing administrator they have the 
you know, sure. the wherewithal. And that's when I started really becoming rich in the okay. last 20 years that publishing went through the roof. Um, that's I got, what I was wondering. Like, 85% of it came to me. And, that's uh, incredible. The albums were, were all went on to CD and started selling yeah. very well. And, you know, it's funny, I would go to, this is so much fun, in the old days when you'd go to, uh, you know, Tower or Virgin or something, uh-huh, and, uh-huh. and you go, you know, you go to look at albums, you know? Sure. And, uh, <laughs> and you'd always buy 10 more than you thought because you uh-huh. saw something, you know, on Everly Brothers or a Beatles yep. or something that you wanted. Yeah. And it was wonderful. And, uh, well, I would go and there was a, a bin of, of mine, right? And then I go uh-huh. six months later and there were three bins of mine and then oh, wow. all the old stuff. And then there were probably like eight or nine bins of my stuff. As the years went by and the, and the CD revolution, uh-huh. you know, um, uh-huh. got more and more. And, I mean, I'm telling you, in 1985 or so, I had a number one hit around the world with Crying. I was alright for a while. I could smile for But when I saw you last night, you held my hand so tight. When you stopped to say hello, and though you wished me well, you couldn't tell that I. And that was in 80, 81, 82, around there, Captain's in the Air was back on the chart. I mean, all the singer-songwriters, except for the big boys like, you know, um, Elton and James Taylor and people like that, uh, they were finished. And here I was, because disco killed them. So here I was coming out yeah. of the block with more hits. Shocked the shit out of everybody, <laughs> including me. And, and the thing is, but by 85, I was almost out of the business again. Really? You know, because everything had changed. This manager uh, thing happened. Sure. I was in these lawsuits. I didn't have representation. So it's been up and down, but it's always been me uh, without anybody really yeah. on my side. Yeah. And I had some very good lawyers. I had some yeah. very good lawyers that loved me and worked with me. Alan Shulman has passed away. Uh, he was a fabulous lawyer, and he beat the shit out of Herb Gart and out of nice. uh, a bunch of other people. Good. And got me everything back, and then my current representation from uh, Chris Horsnell in Nashville and Mike Milam, which has been going on for close to 30 years. I mean, That's they great. Get, 
they get great stuff for me and, and uh, look after it. And they know how everything works. I can't cross my wires up with all these deals because sure. I've got lots of deals. I've got videos out. I've got the albums. I've got the publishing stuff. I mean, and then there's this new thing now with sampling. And this oh, guy, yeah. Uh, and this guy, um, Drake, uh-huh. he took two songs of mine that are extremely unknown. One is called uh-huh. When a Good Thing Goes Bad, and the other is called The Wrong Thing to Do. And they were from an album that actually got me kicked off of uh, Arista Records uh, called uh, Primetime. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, Primetime, which is uh, America as a game show. And they can bring that song back because that's a powerful song. A about, great song. About great America. Song. But Clive yeah. wanted me to sing these stupid fucking hit songs, you know, with strings and everything and use my voice. Yeah. And I yeah. said, I don't sing stuff like that, you know. So right. the funny thing is, so we had a falling out, and the next thing I do is I came with the Chain Lightning album and had crying on it, too. That had a number mm-hmm. one. Yeah. You just let me do my thing, you know. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but just to quickly finish this Drake thing, so he took these two uh-huh. songs, and so now I, I have 60% of the Drake song called Do It Wrong. I own that. What? Yeah. No way. Oh, yeah. When a good thing goes bad, it's not the end of the world. It's just the end of a world that you have with one girl. And she's the reason it happened. But she's overreacting. And it's all because she don't want things to change. So cry if you need to. But I can't stay to watch you. That's the wrong thing to do. If you need to But I can't stay to hold you That's the wrong thing to do Talk if you need to But I can't stay to hear you That's the wrong thing to do Cause you'll say you love me And I'll end up lying To say I love you too But I need someone different That is insane. I don't listen to enough Drake to know that. I'm sorry. Well, now the other thing that's amazing is he took a piece of that and sampled it in his latest song, and I own 25% of that. Oh, my gosh. So this is is amazing. And Drake is coming to you. He's heard your songs, felt like they inspired him to create this other track, and his people are coming to you saying, Drake would like to sample or use your song. He had to that find those albums on the primetime album, okay? Yeah. These yeah. these kids are looking for stuff. Yeah. You know, they're they're not they're looking around at everybody, every songwriter's catalog uh, for things, and they're listening. That just shows you because, like, Absolutely. nobody knows the primetime album, but Drake does. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the reason why I'm continuing to make records. I'm going to come out with an album called Botanical Gardens with all new songs, because even though it won't sell, it might. Mm-hmm be on the radio and it might inspire sure. some kids with some ideas they don't have any ideas now yeah i've noticed that you know i've noticed that so when's this new i saw on your website that the new album was coming out this is your first i think since was it addicted to black that yeah. came out in 2010 okay yeah. so when's the new one coming out well because of my divorce which uh fucked everything up for about a year Uh-oh. and a half uh Uh-oh. it delayed it but now it's supposed to come out the last quarter of this year 
Oh, excellent. Okay. On BMG Records. Oh, nice. Okay, good for you. Good deal. I'm nothing if not dogged. <laughs> well, you continue to, you're obviously very prolific. It's obvious you're still very prolific. And I love uh, what I do. Of course. And there's a, there's a demand do. for it. So, and the thing I'm about just, it is that I, I never wanted to do anything that I wasn't proud of. I never yeah. wanted to say any words that I didn't believe in. And that's the reason why I couldn't record those Clive Davis uh, small oh, sure. things that he wanted. I just yeah. didn't want to do it. And, you know, I paid a big price for this in my, in my life. Well, it all care. worked out, right? Yeah. yeah I mean, to. the kind of the focus of this podcast is how legacy artists maintain a living over time. And obviously, you can live off American Pie money for the rest of your life thanks to the success of that. And, but was that really the difference when you took over your master's, what was it, 20, 30 years ago? Well, that um, was when, up until then, was it hard? No, it's never been hard because I've always lived below my means. Oh, smart. Um, I was able to give a lot of money to my foundation, and I was able to put out a multi-million dollar settlement to this divorce because I had the money. I have a, I have a finance major in college. I have a degree mm. in finance. Interesting. And so I took a lot of what I got in the business, and I was always living below my means. I was investing well, carefully. So over a period of time, I became very wealthy, and I'm still very wealthy. That's great. And not not by you know billionaire standards by any sure. means, but I'm just a guy, and I have by artist standards. I, standard. I have yeah. Well, I'm you know, I'm in control too. I haven't yeah. been screwed out of everything like so many artists who had much more commercial success than I did. Right. I, I know so many sad stories. You know, guys who really had careers. I mean, and. They've gone bankrupt, or they've been fucked over by their managers. Or, Absolutely. I, you know, there was a, a, a time when I was in England, and the manager was there, and, they, and, and another guy was there, and they said, um, you know, I was doing an, an, a, a tour of England. If you leave the money in the Isle of Man, you won't have to pay taxes in the United States, they say to me. Now, if I were a dumb guy, <laughs> if I were a dumb guy who never had any, any business background, I would have said, oh, gee, that saves me you know, the money. But I said, no, actually, I'm responsible for every dime I earn, no matter what the source is, to the American government. And so I'm not going to do that. But right. the thing about it is, when the time came for me and uh, Mr. Gart to part ways, all he would have had to do is say, I know about that money in the Isle of Man you didn't pay taxes on. Ooh. And he'd still be my manager right now. Oh, so Interesting. I, I never ever let myself be yeah uh, any secrets to anybody that I expect no. them to keep. Okay. You don't owe him anything, right? I nobody. I, I don't owe him nothing. I haven't owed him anything I mean, in thirty-five well, I mean, years. Yeah, like you mentioned these secrets. I mean, if he can lord anything over you, then he's got control. Do you know that how many? Genius. You know how many people have? Uh, I mean, Bob Dylan had that guy, Albert Grossman, Grossman, in his life for decades. Uh, he owned the publishing, and he was in court with this guy for 100 years. This is, these guys don't fool around. Look at the ABCO, yeah. Alan B. Klein. Look what right. he did to the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. You know, everybody says Mick Jagger is a great businessman. He missed the biggest deal of his entire life because he doesn't own the songs or the masters to anything from 1960 to 1975. Really? You'll see Abco, Allen B. That's Klein right. Company. They yeah. own it. 
He should own those. That's a billion dollars right there he missed. Oh, my God. And the reason he missed it is that they got sued. Once Klein got his hooks into them, he got sued. And from what I read, and I don't know if this is true or not, uh, Mick said, oh, well, just let's give him the songs. We'll write more songs. Uh-huh. Oh, of course, no way. They're golden, Ow. period. And yeah. he owns it all. Oh, that's man. a huge. That's a huge blunder. That's a, you know, this is a common story with the people that I talk to. So many people get screwed out of things or their label. They're, they're the victims in some label politics that have nothing to do with them but affects their well, lives for the rest of their lives. They're guys with bedside manners that know how to talk to artists but also know how to fuck them good, okay? Yeah, yeah. And that's the part true. that they don't find out about. I have this business background. And I remember one time I, Larry Butler, who's uh, had a lot of trouble with the IRS and stuff, we were at a dinner with him, and, you know, I always looked like a, a innocent kind of a kid, which I was mm-hmm. in many mm-hmm. ways. And he he said to me, Don, I want you to look at this. He hands me a piece of paper, and it's a, a balance sheet. He says, I'm worth $6 million, he said to me. <laughs> and he said, you can invest with my people if you want to. And I said, Larry, that's a piece of paper. That's what that is. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, man. That's a piece of oh, paper. Oh, wow. Well, of course, good for he, you he got, you he got pissed enough. off at me, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't that's know what incredible. that means, you know. Yeah. That's incredible. Now, I've, I've got sort of a songwritery cre- uh, question for you. I wonder if you ever noticed or talked to Sammy Johns about Chevy Van sounding almost exactly like Winterwood. No, I never did, but I'll have to talk to my lawyer about that. Who is this guy? <laughs> so in the, 19, in the 70s, this singer named Sammy Johns had one of uh-huh. the greatest one-hit wonders. It's called Chevy Van. And Chevy Van, book, and his name is? Sammy Johns. Yeah, well, time has passed. Now. I guess I've, lost, I guess I've yeah. lost my chance. That's true. This was probably 40 years ago, and he's dead now. But oh, the hook cool. to Chevy Van sounds almost yeah. exactly like the beginning of Winter Wood, and I wondered if you knew that or had ever... I never even heard of that guy or that song. I gave a girl a ride in the wagon She crawled in and took control She was tired so her mind was a dragon I said, get some sleep and dream of rock and roll. Cause like a princess, she was laying there. Moonlight dancing off her hair. She woke up and took me by the hand. She's gonna love me in my Chevy van. And that's all right with me. can take your place with me And time has proven that I'm right There's no place I'd rather be mm-hmm. Than at your place for the night no Interesting. Oh, that's so interesting. It's a great song. Okay. Well, so I want to you, know. I have a oh, girlfriend who asked me, did you hear that song? I said, I don't know that song. Do you remember that one? I don't know that song. Because in the 70s, I was on the road all the time. I didn't listen to the radio anymore, ever. Sure. Yeah. 
Well, so were you, uh, but when you continue on then, who are you being inspired by? Just your own sort of artistic voice? Or are you well, hearing that's things? Only, that's the only thing I was ever inspired by. I really, I think that the Beatles and, and, and Dylan a little bit inspired me in the beginning to try to say more and be more powerful, poetic. I love the Weavers, the folk group. Mm-hmm. The, the diversity of music is something I tried to get into my songwriting. So that's why all the songs are so different. I never tried to do American Pie 2 or 3 or 4 or sure, yeah. any of that stuff. I, I, this is perfect the way it is. I'll never touch this song. And mm-hmm. I've had people say, well, don't you update it? I said, it's timeless. No. I'm not updating. It's exactly what I want to say always. No need. You know? Yep. No need. Yeah. Okay. So I want to know what, like, the just the best, most incredible memory of your long career has been. When you sit back and you think, I can't believe what's happened to me. What is the memory that soars above everything else? Oh, God, I, I, there's too many of those. I can't really, really, really? Okay. Uh, tell you how many, many, many. Because I've had a lot of number ones and uh, number one albums in foreign countries. <clears throat> I think one of the things that I still think about now and then was taking uh, a walking. In, I was in a Skiffold airport in the 70s, and I was taking a moving sidewalk to catch they catch a plane home, mm-hmm. I guess. And I, uh, a workman was working on uh, uh, the uh, the walking sidewalk next to mine, and he was whistling Vincent. Oh, see, I love that. That's the perfect story. And I remember Excellent. that. You know, I remember yeah. I think to myself, boy, you know, maybe some of these songs will be almost folk music someday, you know. Sure. And, uh, and that's kind of what's happened. Yeah, it really has. You're a touchstone for a lot of people, even to this day. Do you have any regrets? Might it, maybe it's stuff we've already talked about, the people you were in business with, but is there um, something, a decision that you wish you could take back? Gee, no, because things could have turned out so much worse. Yeah. Though I never think that uh, if it hadn't done this, it would have been much better. I think, I think somehow, you know, uh, an artist finds his own level, kind of like a politician. Mm. You know, how do people react to you? So people never really reacted to me like they do to Springsteen or Elvis or something. But yeah. they loved me, and they came to yeah. my shows. And so I think I ended up where I was supposed to be. But I only wish that I'd had a George Martin. Uh, somebody in my corner sense. that could take a mm. fragment or a, a, a song idea mm-hmm. and, and, and get it and run with it and start something going that would turn me on. I very, very rarely yeah. had a record producer do anything that surprised me. Huh. And he That's could do really that. That's really interesting. I would imagine, especially back in the 70s, you would have had your pick of anyone you wanted to work with. Were there people that you – I mean, like, who are some of the people that you've met over the years that you, you jive with? That has there been I never. I really, I really didn't get didn't get along with people too well. I really uh, huh. didn't want to work with other people. Um, I yeah. was always looking for that producer. George yeah. Martin was around. We had some talks, but oh, my wow. guess is that my manager ruined that because that was one mm-hmm. of the things he did. If anybody came along who might excite me and deflect mm-hmm. me from him, he would fuck things up somehow. He did right. this a lot. Uh, I had a wonderful relationship with Joel Dorn, who was a great record producer, produced uh, Killing Me Softly, and nice. a lot of those are Britta Flack and Bette Midler records, and, mm-hmm. and we made some beautiful records together, and 
we were going to, and he fucked that up, you know, and mm-hmm. I only found out later, you know. Oh, no. Like 30 years later, I found out, he said, you know, that son of a bitch fucked up our relationship. He told uh, me this, that, or the other thing, you know. I said, yeah. well, I'm not surprised, you know. Yeah. Shoot. So how often do you play, do you play out very often now? I mean, do you, are you on yeah, a regular I, I'm, schedule? I'm doing about, well, I'm still going around the world, and I do about 50 so. shows a year. I, if you look at Polestar, you'll see. Yeah, uh, I'm all I'm all over the place. I've got more dates coming in all the time, and sure. you know, nice dates and small places and small theaters and big bigger festivals sometimes. Yeah, so, yeah. I imagine mm-hmm. you can pick and choose, right? You can say where you want to. You probably get offers, and you're like, well, I sure I'll go to the Bahamas or whatever. You know, you can pick whatever you want to do at this point, right? I go I go wherever they I go wherever I want to go, and I'm, That's what I, I enjoy I enjoy doing it. I love working. I love people. I love uh, singing for people, and it keeps me in shape. You know, I have to. Yeah. I can't get too fat. You know, I've got to watch mm-hmm. how I look. You mm-hmm. know, and, and I can't let myself go to hell. I'm going to be 72 years old for Christ's sake. Wow. You know, and I, I, I can't let myself. You can look on YouTube and uh-huh. see a lot of the stuff we're doing now uh, in places. There's so That's much great. out there. You go to Facebook yeah. and Twitter. You can see all this stuff. Sure, I follow you. All right. Well, look, I, uh, I'm i so grateful you talked to me, Don, and I'm so thankful to hear your story. You put a lot of good out in the world, and I just want to thank you for that. And, well, I appreciate it. I like talking to you, too, okay? Good. Yeah, me, too. There you have it, Don McClain. That's, that's him. He's a straight shooter, right? Quite a character. I love people like that. I think they're really entertaining. I, that's the man uh, behind the song. So a couple thoughts, some postscripts. Number one... I'm sure he made a lot of money off that Madonna cover, but that thing is sacrilege. It's maybe the worst cover of all time. Not just because it's not that great, but because it's, because it is so completely unnecessary. It just smells like a cash grab to me. Not a fan. Secondly, who knew that someone like Drake is sampling Don McLean's songs and writing his own material from them? And of course, good for Don to get to capitalize on that. That's great. And one other thing, he mentioned there at the near the end about the Roberta Flack song, Killing Me Softly. It, maybe you knew this already, maybe you didn't. He's the one who inspired that song. When she sings Killing Me Softly with his song, it's his, it's Dawn's song that she's talking about. So anyway, little, little bits of trivia there. Now, he mentioned in there his album Primetime that was not regarded favorably by good old Clive Davis. So I want to close it out with the song Primetime, which is killer. I love this song. And regular listeners know that Clive Davis is a name that pops up on here a lot. But more often than not, it's because he's a clown. And and I'm sure that he has the Midas touch, but I think sometimes he's Midas in reverse. And this is probably one of those times. Anyway, thank you, Don, for doing this. I really, really appreciate it. So back to business. You can find us on Facebook. You can like our page. You can send me a message on there if you want. You can send me an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com. And you can send me a, uh, you can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. And please, if you haven't done already, go in and write us a review. Uh, There have been a few ones newly written lately. Thank you guys so much for doing this. One of them mentions the age-old problem of me interrupting people and with my wows and my yas and my rights and all that kind of stuff. Sorry, guys. All I can tell you is it's tricky sometimes on the phone, and I try to remind people 
that I don't want them to just keep talking and talking and talking. But this is a conversation, and that's why I do that. So, I, I please forgive me. Also, huge thanks, as always, to Yan the Man Makevich for everything. Yan, you're the best. Thanks, everybody. We will see you next week. Oh, by the way, next week's guest, I'm going to give you a little teaser. Total right turn for us. Not somebody that we would normally cover on here, but someone with a very fascinating story. I think you're going to like it. It's the 4th of July. We'll leave it at that, okay? Right turn, 4th of July. Not the typical kind of guest. Uh, send me a message if you think you know who I'm talking about. I'm really curious. I'm excited for you guys to hear it. Anyway, we will talk to you next week. Bye, everyone. <laughs>